This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Slayton, and I'm so glad you're here. I empower leaders to turn indifferent customers into loyal fans. I talk to guests with a wide range of expertise who share meaningful insights and wisdom. We give you practical tips and proven frameworks and share ways to help you delight your customers. I've been doing some research on what's most important to business leaders, and I've heard three major themes. Number one, their employees are burned out and feel overwhelmed. Number two, they're concerned about customer retention. And number three, they want to address customer friction, whether it's controllable or not, but they need actionable results. As a result, I've created the 120-day Quick Start, a four-step program designed to go from current state assessment to specific strategies to get you actionable results in 120 days. If you want to make a quick impact, check out EmpoweredCX.com for more information. I'd love to talk to you. You know, and I think when you're doing confident humility, leaders who are effective and that people remember and that people are excited about following are leaders who are other-centered. So they're not egocentric. It's not all about me. It's all about you. It's all about our customers and our stakeholders. Okay, my guest on the show today is Jay Weiser from Jay Weiser Consulting. And this episode is going to be just a little bit different partly because Jay's background is in leadership. He is a graduate of the Wharton School. He's been a strategy advisor at Accenture, VP at Cox Automotive, and currently uh, manages his own practice. He's the principal and founder of Jay Weiser Consulting. And Jay, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. So excited to have you on and talk about, I've really talked about so many different things, usually in the world of customer experience, customer experience and employee experience management. But today um, you and I connected and I was just so fascinated by uh, what you talk about, what you've studied and what you share with your clients that I thought this would be an interesting angle for our audience to hear um, as you talk about the super, the five leadership superpowers. And one thing that really intrigued me was this idea of leadership paradoxes, right? Leadership paradoxes. So um, before we get into that, I'd like, if you don't mind, just share with our audience, how'd you get into the world that you're in professionally? So strategy, uh, strategy execution, organizational strategy has always been a passion of mine. Uh, you know, having a strategy is great, but if you can't execute it, you're not really doing anything. Uh, mm. Becomes a little bit of a hallucination. So being able to <laughs> execute is so important. And the key to execution is what goes on with leadership, how decisions get made, <clears throat> what gets measured, what gets communicated, how uh, different parts of the organization are aligned. 
So as I got, got into this, is I kept on seeing companies that were not reaching their full potential and what was in the way. And that's really what got me into organization and strategy. <clears throat> Fast forward, um, you know, going back, I guess, 2018 or so, I started saying, why are companies having so much trouble? Uh, you know, why is this becoming an issue? And what I realized is there was so much disruption and change, but companies were continually getting caught off guard unaware of what was happening. And it was because they weren't seeing differently. They, you know, they were looking very narrowly. They weren't looking at what's going on in the context, what's going on in the environment, what's going on with their customers, and not integrating that into decision making. They were also stuck in old business models, old mental models. And Times were changing and those mental models worked before, but in, in a time of accelerated change, frequent disruptions, and a lot of uncertainty, those models don't always work and people needed to be open to thinking differently. And at the end of the day, if you're seeing differently and thinking differently, doesn't matter unless you start doing things differently. And, you know, that's really what led me <clears throat> to say, you know, what capabilities do leaders need to have? And the thing that really hit me is that it wasn't a question of doing this or that. It was a, more a question of doing this and that. So kind of this both end thinking. And very often, you know, there, there were opposites or, or paradoxes that needed to, you know, act, actually be operationalized. Where are you doing? So, at, yeah. So, as you're talking about that, I can't help but think about the improvisation activity called "Yes and." You're familiar with that? Yep, absolutely. Well, and it, the idea really, really is that both things can be can be possible. The, the idea is to not limit your thinking to say it either has to be this or that, right? Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's like you know, do you want peanut butter or jelly? You want both. That's what makes the sandwich. Yeah. So 100% uh, agree with you about the rate of change, and it doesn't seem to be getting any slower. If anything, with things that you know we hear about AI and machine learning and other things, it seems to be getting faster, doesn't it? it and, and it's not stopping. I mean, you think about yeah. Ukraine, you think about supply chain, which has been going on, you think about geopolitical issues. So we have Ukraine, uh, Ukraine, China getting more active, uh, <clears throat> the uh, you know financial issues that are going on between the Fed raising rates, concern about inflation, concern about uh, recession. You know we're now seeing issues uh, with Silicon Valley Bank and other banks, Credit Suisse uh, over in Europe, where you know the financial stability is starting to get called into question. Now, it's not just one crisis. It's all these disruptions happening at the same time, and they all interact. And uh, it's not getting any simpler. Yeah. So what, what do you think is, is um, contributing to leaders getting caught off guard? Like, why are they flat-footed when this happens? 
But this, I think they become, they're too inwardly focused very often. Mm -hmm. They're operationally focused. What do I need to do tomorrow? What are the fires that I'm fighting versus pulling back and looking at the bigger picture, looking at how things are connected? And again, it's not an either or. You need to do both. You need to understand what's happening operationally, how you're impacted by what's going on in the world. Uh, what's going on in your ecosystem, your industry with your customers. And think about what's going to go on and use that to inform decision making. Yeah. So so what would you, um, I guess, I, I, what would you, well, before we get into remedies, let, let's do, hit the pause button because very recently, um, let's use it by way of illustration, Silicon Valley Bank, right? And that whole situation, which again, there is a great example of what appeared to be, um, you know, what, $200 billion bank, which, you know, to give people, I came from the banking world and we were a $13 billion bank after two acquisitions. Um, and we were a decent sized regional bank. 200 billion makes, makes it. Uh, what tw almost twenty times larger than a, a, a decent sized regional, mid sized regional or community bank? Two hundred. What would I say? Twenty times larger. Uh, so it's a good size bank, and yet um, they they were flat. What what happened there? What's your opinion? So so I think it was a couple of things. Um, they got complacent. They were fo they were focused on you know really two industries. Primarily one, which is high tech. Second one was wineries to some degree, <clears throat> but it was a lot of venture capital money. So there was industry concentration. I think the second thing was they invested in long-term bonds. And when interest rates go up, the price of long-term bonds goes down. <clears throat> and again, heavily concentrated. I can't, I came up with a banking background. In Banking 101, you look at interest rate risk, which goes to what's going on with interest rates and what's going on with the uh, maturity and duration of the bonds. Now, sometimes the danger is you ignore the risk. So you know it's there and you choose to do nothing, which in and of itself can be very risky. And, and then there's just... Uh, you know, people say, oh, it's a black swan. You know, you, you couldn't have possibly have seen it coming. And people have said that about Silicon Valley Bank. This risk was out there in plain sight. It wasn't a black swan. Anybody who's been involved in banking knows when interest rates go up, that's going to affect the value of your assets. It's going to affect the credit worthiness of your customers. And, and it's something you plan for. It's something you monitor. So, you know, I, I think it was a failure in terms of leadership. It was a failure in terms of the board paying attention to this. And, and to some degree, the regulators, you know, for not asking questions about this. Um, <clears throat> you know, a lot of times with uh, disruption and uncertainty, Things should have been seen coming. Things should have been, you know, basic, you know, preparedness. And, you know, that in this case, as in a lot of other cases, was lacking. 
Yeah. And speaking of that, Jay, as you think about other organizations, can you think of either some other examples where leadership was caught flat-footed and shouldn't have been should have been ready for the disruption? Or can you think of some examples of where they did flex and respond well? So, so I think I think a couple of things. Uh, you know, if we look back pre-COVID, there was such a focus on efficiency and productivity. So that led to you know finding the cheapest suppliers very often, the furthest away, and it was based on everything working. But if all of a sudden, I mean, remember back in the middle of COVID, you had the barge that got stuck in the Suez Canal. One barge. But think about how that affected the entire world's supply chain. Mm. And all of a sudden, companies were thinking, hmm, maybe it wasn't so wise to, you know, save a penny and have it made someplace else. Because you can have a disruption and, you know, now all of a sudden it's costing you sales and it's having a much larger impact. So, I, you know, I think that's an example of just not seeing the possible risks. Think about what are the drivers to your business and what are the risks to the drivers? Don't just think about a fire or a data breach, uh, a storm. But if you look at the drivers of your business and the risks to the drivers, you're going to think about risks more broadly. So going back to your question, companies who have done better. One example I like to use is Delta Airlines. Now, Mm. airlines were instantly uh, disrupted. Uh, They lost 90, 95% of their business within the first week of COVID. Right. And what Delta, their CEO did is within a week or two, he came out with an announcement uh, broadcast to all employees. And he said Delta had three priorities. Number one, protect the employees and customers. It's got to be safe for, for both. Second, he said we need to protect cash because we don't know how long this is going to go on for. And the third thing that was said, which most airlines did not say, is we need to protect our future. And that drove a lot of their behaviors. They didn't just terminate loads and loads of people. There were furloughs. There was early retirement. They stayed in touch with their employees. They didn't get rid of as many airplanes because they knew there was going to be another side to this. And as a result, when travel started to go up, Delta was able to come back much faster. Now, they're not perfect. They've run into issues like other airlines around staffing, but they've done far better because of taking that forward mindset, thinking not just about the present, but about the future too. So great, great leadership uh, advice and a great, a great illustration there with uh, with Delta. And I just a gem that I'm pulling out there is uh, number one is always be thinking about what could happen, calculate the risk into your equation. But two, when something does happen, you know, take, take a step back, don't panic and never forget about the future 
because things never stay the same. And if all you do is focus on the present, um, you may miss the opportunity uh, for whatever may, may occur in the future, right? You know, and, and the thing that's interesting, a lot of organizations will say, oh, it's expensive to be prepared. Uh, it doesn't have to be. And there are some basic, uh, you know, blocking and tackling things that you can do. You know, it's funny, before we started on our call, <clears throat> I was thinking about preparedness. And I actually can't see this, put a list together about what are the things we do to be prepared at home? So you think about all the different things that can happen at home. You buy a flashlight or have a few of them. If there's a risk of losing power, you have batteries. You have bottles of water, duct tape, WD-40, Band-Aids, hydrogen peroxide. You keep your phone charged or you have extra chargers. So if, if you lose power, you probably have a raincoat or an umbrella. If it rains, you have a winter coat. There's always food in the pantry. That's nothing extraordinary. So think about what the parallels are within a company. And, mm. you know, sometimes they don't have the duct tape or the WD-40. They don't have the emergency contact list. Uh, they don't have other sources of power in case, you know, you think about the companies that all of a sudden had to go remote. And, you know, it, it doesn't. There's not a lot of cost difference between a laptop and a desktop to have that mobility, as an example. Yeah, yeah, it's a great, great illustration of, you know, may, you may be thinking it gonna, it's going to cost you a lot more to be prepared for risk, but the reality is it may not cost you. There may be some expenses, but in the long run. Um, yeah, you may be better off. So talk to us about the, the five paradoxes that you have come up with, because that's really interesting to me. So the five paradoxes is really looking at five tensions. The first one is the tension between the present and future, which we've really talked about. And that's right. superpower is called being a present futurist. So you have to bring both together. And the second one is looking at the tension between experience and expertise and learning. You know, all too often people are saying, oh, you know, I've got 20 years of experience. I've been a CFO for 20 years. You know, I've, I've seen everything I need to see. Well, that's not always the case. Environments changing with uh, made you successful in the past isn't necessarily what's going to make you successful in the future. So it's mm. critical for leaders to be open to learning. It's not just for people below you. It's for you as a leader and the leadership team. Learning its about being curious, fostering an environment where it's okay if you get challenged. It's okay to be curious that leaders are okay saying, you know, this is kind of new, but we together can figure this out. <clears throat> so, you know, that openness, you know, all, all too often you think about curiosity. We're most, we're most curious when we're young, but as we get old, older, there's a tendency to get less and less curious. Success, mm. Successful leaders keep that curiosity alive. 
So that's being an experienced learner. Uh, third, which really uh, you know comes to the fore with Silicon Valley Bank, is between preparedness and risk taking. So first of all, you can't avoid risk. Risk is part of being in business. Everything involves some level of risk. You want it to be smart. You want to do small experiments. <laughs> and the counterpart to risk is being prepared. Part of being prepared is being risk aware. Part of being prepared is taking some of the steps like we just talked about that you do in your own house. You can't be prepared for every risk, but you can generally be better prepared than what you are. You know, when I would talk about this with COVID, people would say, oh, I, you know, we never could have prepared for that. I agree. You never could have prepared for COVID. But I think <clears throat> most organizations, and I actually did a survey of about 40 different C-level execs across uh, probably 30 different companies, multiple industries. And the question was simply, should you have been better prepared in general? over the last three to five years? And the answer resoundingly was yes. <clears throat> so mm. it's balancing and that's being a prepared risk tank. <clears throat> Fourth is the battle between strategy and operations, strategy and execution. And I think Delta is a great example there because they weren't just thinking <clears throat> about the short term. They were thinking about the long term. They knew operational decisions could have long term implications. So it's balancing. It's also recognizing that strategy and execution are linked. They can't be two separate conversations. They have to be integrated. <clears throat> so you need to be a strategic executor. That's the fourth superpower. And the fifth superpower looks at the tension between accountability and collaboration. You know, very often leaders want to know who do they point the finger at? Who do they blame if something goes wrong? Strategy is a team sport. Dealing with the challenges we have today across multiple dimensions require collaboration, whether it's cross-functional, cross-business unit whether it's collaboration, even outside of the organization with partners, with competitors, with suppliers, with distributors, even the, lo the local community is important. So uh, the fifth superpower is being an accountable collaborator. And awesome. What it, yeah. you know, one other point, the thing that's interesting is they're not five I mean, there are five distinct superpowers, but the value comes is in that they reinforce and support one another. The true power comes when you bring all five together. Mm. And so when, when you work with clients uh, from, from a practical standpoint, how do you apply the five superpowers? So, I mean, the five superpowers, excuse me, superpowers can be applied or should be applied in a number of ways. You know, first of all, it's in those strategic discussions. You start thinking this way, you start asking more questions, you're more curious, it changes the discussion. You can make more informed and actually faster decisions 
with less risk when you're bringing these together. So if you think about investments, what initiatives are you going to invest in? You should be thinking with the superpowers. If you're thinking about, you know, how do I plan or even better yet, I like to say preparing is the new planning because a plan very often is outdated by the time it actually gets done. But so how do you prepare for the future? How do you make sure all of your stakeholders are taken care of and taken into account? Um, you know, so it, it really changes the management. It changes the discussion. It makes it a better place to work because you have more confidence in your leaders because you're uh People can be more empowered and enabled because if they're thinking this way, uh, they're going to make better decisions. Customers are going to be better served because you're not just looking at it from a monolithic viewpoint. <laughs> yeah. Part, part of what, what I'm hearing you say, and um, this is just an observation, just listening to you describe the five superpowers and the paradoxes here, is it, it's, a, it's a way of thinking. Right. It's it's a mindset that as a a broad picture view of things, it's got perspective and context in it. What occurs to me is that there's this word secure attachment um, at the individual level, meaning there's people that have people who are gonna going to um, abide by, embrace the five superpowers. They're pretty secure people, right? Because they have a spirit of curiosity. They want, they're open to other people's opinions. They're willing to take risks, right? So in order to do all these things, you have to yourself be able to be secure. That, that's the word that, that comes up in my head. What, what do you have to say about that? Yeah. So, so the thing that's interesting, and this is another paradox. Uh, and I wrote about this recently, and it's called... Is this a bonus paradox? A bonus paradox. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> is confident humility. So, oh my. you know, when, when you talk about secure, I think it's confidence in yourself, in your ability. But it's the same, you know, that you know how to think, you know how to solve problems. But the humility is that you realize you don't have all the answers. So by being humble, you engage other people. And that helps to secure to the security, the confidence, the competence and capabilities of the group. So confident humility is, is, is an important leader characteristic. Because if somebody's too confident, they're going to be arrogant. They're not going to listen. And if somebody is too humble, they're going to seem insecure, not being able or willing to take charge and make decisions. So it's when you bring the two together, then I think you really have an effective leader. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good one. That may be my favorite one, Jay. <laughs> well, and, <laughs> so well, and the thing is interesting. I think it becomes your favorite because it's so core to being a leader. It's not tied to disruption or uncertainty. It's just a good thing to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of, of the level five leadership, Jim Collins. 
you know, when he talks about Iacocca versus others that were more concerned about leaving a legacy than, than being the legacy. Yep. No, no, absolutely. You know, and I think when you're doing confident humility, leaders who are effective and that people remember and that people are excited about following are leaders who are other-centered. So they're not egocentric. It's not all about me. It's all about you. It's all about our customers and our stakeholders. Yeah, which is a great, which is a great segue to the next question, which is okay. What's we've talked about the five superpowers. We talk about you know what great leaders in this day and age should have uh, in their the arrows in their quiver. Where's the intersection with the customer experience? So, so I think again, those superpowers apply. You know, if I'm a let's just say I'm a banker. And I'm working with <clears throat> with a customer. And it helps to have to be a present futurist to understand how the context, how the environment is going to affect the customer, uh, and and also how does it affect the customer's customer? How how should I serve that customer differently? Uh, being an experienced learner is not assuming you know everything about the customer, that you fully understand their business. It's about being curious, asking questions, understanding their needs, the challenges they're facing, and not just take it at face value, but to actually dig into it a little more because you might find out the need they come in for is not really the most important need they have. So that curiosity helps, you know, yeah. uh, you know, same thing again with the banker example, being a prepared risk taker. When you lend money, there's going to be risk. Do you understand what that risk is? Do you, um, you know, ask the right questions? Do you understand the drivers of their business? What can you do? What can you say? What can you ask to make sure that you're prepared. And, and, it, and it's also, I mean, we go back to COVID. The companies that tended to do well, the ones <clears throat> were the ones who weren't just worried about themselves, but were asking the customer, how can we help you? Let me help me understand what you're going through so we together can figure out how we can best serve you. So again, it's not being me-centric. It's being other centric. Yeah, that that is such a great point. When when I think about um, so much of what is like, there's a framework. There's five different core competencies according to the CX Professionals Association, and they 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 largely um, except the fifth one, which I'll so uh, maybe I'll just share. It. Um, so one of them is customer understanding and insights. And that, that speaks to right what we're talking about here is that we're we're surveying, we're doing focus groups, in-depth interviews, we're listening to customers and we're listening to employees. Um, we're taking when I say listen, it could also be data that we're getting feedback from the data of the number of times a certain activity has happened. Sure. Um, you know, open account, closed an account, etc. Visited a website. 
Um, and then, and then, you know, the strategy is another one, CX strategy, that's planning the roadmap. Um, and then the metrics and what you measure, what you measure and the insights that the value that you are building into, and to your point, not only what your customer, but what their customers derive as value. And then the last one, which, which is, a, is called leadership and accountability, which speaks right into what you're talking about. And I wonder sometimes, you know, leadership and accountability. And I've also heard it say, um, unofficially leadership, a leadership of accountability, right? Which is saying, you know, leaders have to be accountable to holding people to standards. And a lot of times we're nice, we're too, too nice. And we, we let people, you know, not do what their the standards are, which would be for the customer's well, benefit. You know, I was going to say the thing to make sure, uh, you know, when I hear accountability, there are two pieces. There's account, which is the measurement, the tracking, and there's the ability piece. So part of this, not only are there standards, uh, I guess a couple of things come to mind. One are people enabled and empowered? Do they have the tools they need to accomplish the job? <laughs> I think the other part, um, I'd like to call the argument between rules and principles. Rules are, are very strict. Rules, you focus on compliance. Rules very often, um, might not make sense in certain situations. Principles provide uh, guardrails, but you have some flexibility. If you have too many rules, you can ruin the customer experience. And because you end up saying, I'm sorry, that's against policy. Or you say, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I need to ask, you know, for th permission from three different people to be able to do this for you. Whereas if you have a principle that you know, essentially says, do what's right for the customer. <clears throat> so you put the customer first, the company second, because you realize if serving the customer, the customer's gonna buy more from you, they're gonna be more loyal, they're gonna be more satisfied, the returns are going to come. So, that way, sometimes policies get in the way of doing the right thing. You know, if, yeah. if you think about, uh, you know, COVID and you think about what went on, if I'm a community, community banker, I want to see the customer face to face. If they're going to get a loan, I want to come in. I want to talk to them. I want to see them. I want to see how they respond. Well, you can't go into the branch anymore. You know, with COVID. So now we have to do this remotely. Well, that's okay. It's recognizing there are alternative modes of delivery. Uh, you think about shopping, supermarkets. You know, you think about, well, the shopping experience is when somebody comes in the store and they interact with our employees. Well, now they're not coming into the store. You know, they're having delivery. How do you convey that experience across a different channel, across a different medium? So it's having that adaptability and that flexibility. Hmm. Love it. Love it. Really important stuff. And I like the way you talk about like the, the tension 
that exists between each one of these, uh, the paradoxes that exist in the tension and how we really should be thinking about both sides of the tension, not just one side or the other. Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, hey, we, we are just about running out of time. It has been a fascinating conversation. I learned so much from you and it, it is just really just makes common sense, but I never really thought about it the way that you've described it. I could see how, you know, digging into it with uh, businesses who have a particular, uh, maybe a particular area that there's a blind spot or a weakness or they're struggling with, how this could really help put a lens on it. Um, so if I could, uh, for a minute, get a little bit personal with you, which I do for a lot of my guests is to say, for the sake of learning, what would you tell your 20 year younger self? Well, first of all, don't eat as much ice cream, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, you know, I, I think a couple of things. One is figuring out what matters. You know, I think early on in my career, I was probably a little too me-centric. How was I going to move up? What could I do? How could I benefit? And, you know, I think over time, it's realizing there's a whole world up, up there. It's not just about you. Uh, you know, I think you, I've learned things as a parent. I've learned things, you know, working with my clients about what matters. What should you be valuing? And I think, you know, values are something that you can carry over time. Values should not change based on on the context. And I think that's something between my parents, my grandparents, mentors that I have is, you know, understanding values first and use that as a lens in terms of, you know, what you do, how you work with people. Uh, you know, I think the other part is, you know, trust yourself that, you know, in terms of how you think, how you feel, uh, don't always be framed by the outside. You know, being true to yourself. You know, I remember in my first job and it, it was in banking and we were talking about ethics and morals and risk and Simply, it was put this way. Before you do something, would you want your mother to read about it on the front page of the New York Times? And if the answer is no, probably not something you should be doing. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and you can say your mother, your friend, your boss, you know, whoever that happens to be. Mm-hmm. And I, sure. th- I think that's a good litmus test. Yeah, that's great. That's great advice. Um, hey, um, if if any of our listeners wanted to get in touch with you, what would be your recommendation for the best way? So uh, my website is www.jayweiser.com. So uh, you can contact me there or reach out to me at j at jayweiser.com. Uh, and I actually found out last night that if you type in my name in Google, uh, I think eight of the first 10 entries are me. So if you just do a search, uh, 
you can do that. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, it's a great way to access a lot of my content as well. And uh, that's one of the first three that come up when you do a search. So, uh, you know, please do reach out. You know, I love talking to people. Uh, I offer a 45-minute complimentary discovery call so we can talk about your situation, uh, can explore what your challenges are, and and discuss, you know, could the superpowers help? Uh, I do speaking, training, uh, organizational assessments, find out where you are and what you need to do. Excellent. Great stuff. Uh, and I'll include all that in the show notes. Jay, what a great, fascinating discussion we had. So much to learn. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for the opportunity. I, you know, I enjoyed this as well. Thanks for listening to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'd like to ask you a favor. If you have enjoyed this episode or any of my other ones, hit subscribe or follow. I've got a lot of other great guests that are coming up and a lot of other great content, and I don't want you to miss anything. You can find any links or references on the show in the show notes, and you can find those on my website at empoweredcx.com. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources. When you drive the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power, you can stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see yourself behind the wheel of the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Kia received the fewest reported problems among all brands in the J.D. Power 2022 U.S. Vehicle Dependability Study based on 2019 models. See JDPower.com awards for 2022 details.